Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. This is the technology innovation series where we take a deeper dive into the technology and people fueling industry 4.0. It might be indirectly, but all of us are in the customer service industry. For many of us, our customers are not end users, but other departments within our own organization, like operations. The challenge set out to this week's guests was how do we improve the guest experience. As maintenance, reliability, technicians, and engineers, we are motivated by the understanding of how things work and, of course, how they fail. To give you a hint of the equipment we're talking about on this week's podcast, take a listen to this familiar sound. That's right. In this week's episode, we talk about using AI for predictive maintenance on the equipment most of us have spent a lot of time and money to use for only a few seconds of fun. That is amusement park rides. I am pleased to welcome the data science and analytics team from Atos to discuss this unique project that generates over 25 million data points per second. But before we get into this podcast, a quick note from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, StarWest Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Tindall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. This is the technology innovation series where we try to take a deeper dive into the people and technology fueling industry 4.0. I'm very excited today because we have some guests from Atos on and this is a very, it's, it, it's, it's a very, not a unique use case because it makes a lot of sense, but something that regardless of the industry we are in, so our listeners range from oil and gas, pharmaceutical manufacturing, food and beverage, 
this use case we can all relate to because most of us hopefully have been fortunate enough to spend time at a amusement park. And what I'm talking about today is those things we hop on, we strap ourselves into the seats and hope and pray that it's going to hold us in that seat. And what I'm talking about are roller coasters and amusement park rides. So gentlemen, thank you for taking the time sharing this case study. As you can tell, I'm already excited to dive into this. If you don't mind just giving a brief introduction of who you guys are and what your company does for our listeners. Thanks, thanks Blair for the introduction. Um, uh, we, we are from ATOS, um, as, as you mentioned, uh, I am Ankur Srivastava. Uh, I am the head of data science uh, in, the, uh, in, in, this cloud, in the CES organization here in, in, in ATOS. And uh, I lead any data science activities uh, for um, in, you know, different customers. And this, uh, in this specific instance, we are talking about predictive maintenance for, uh, uh, for this theme park operator. Uh, my, my background is uh, I'm coming uh, from a startup in uh, in the Chicago area uh, called Uptake. Uh, spent four years as a data science manager there, and uh, again looking at uh, you know predictive maintenance solutions for different industries like mining, manufacturing, aviation, etc. And then before that, uh, worked four years at GE uh, Global Research Center. Um, uh, looking at you know uh, design optimization and predictive maintenance for gas turbines. Um, Excellent. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hey, Blair. Thank you for having us. Uh, so my name is um, Arnaud Langer. I'm uh, with uh, Atos for um, eight years now um, and uh, getting on uh, 10 years of experience into uh, analytics and AI and um, IoT reality use cases. And uh, for Etos, I'm now um, globally managing uh, our products around cloud, data, analytics, and AI. Excellent, well, thank you. So we, we got a couple powerhouses here from the, um, the data science analytics part. So I'm gonna do my best to, to um, because I am nowhere near an expert in, in this subject to, to make sure we try to stay you know, out of out of the too much out of the technical space, which is odd for me to say, and and um, try to make it into a, a language we can all understand. Because with your guys' background, you guys are rock stars um, in this industry and know this in and out. So chances are, if I don't know, the listeners don't know. So if I do ask you some questions or you throw out some acronyms, I will try to to make some some clarifications. Um, and and as I said earlier, I'm I'm very excited about this because this really stemmed from another podcast you guys ha had did. We're done with with um, Adele as a provider, which was a great and it's just a, a well articulated solution around using IoT artificial intelligence for predictive maintenance. On um, in this case, it was is a roller coaster, but I'm assuming you're you're pushing this across all um, what they call um, these vehicles in in amusement parks. And I, I gave that analogy at the start is is most of us have have clicked into one of these roller coasters, and specifically our audience. We're maintenance reliability people. So if they're anything like me, when you're, you're in, you're, you're, you strap in and you're starting to go up that, you know, that initial climb, right? Your, your inherent engineering, your maintenance and reliability background, you start to look at every nut, every bolt, every wheel turning, right? And you start to question, when's the last time they did a, a, a preventative maintenance on this? Are you using the right procedures, right? Those are the things that start flowing through your mind. And of course, one of the challenges with these these roller coasters are obviously moving really really fast you need there's a lot 
I couldn't imagine what the failure mode and effect analysis would be on a, on a roller coaster. Pretty, pretty, um, the, 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 the effect of it is going to be fairly large from just having really pissed off people waiting in line with a piece of broken equipment all the way to the extreme, which unfortunately does happen, which is death, right? And you, you, of course you want to eliminate that or, or avoid that as much as possible. So I'm curious, how did you get into um, applying this artificial intelligence on a roller coaster in an amusement park? Was it a clear directive from this company saying, we need to start deploying AI? Or is it more of an approach of, we need to start improving X in this facility and AI came as a solution from that? So it actually came as, uh, okay, we need to improve guest experience. And we are okay. all about guest experience. Is, and, uh, isn't that interesting? I'm just going to pause there and I apologize there because really what I'm learning as I'm doing these podcasts and I'm focusing on what the use cases are, I think that's a very humbling and realistic is, is what is that? That is the bigger picture. So right there, I'll stop because it wasn't predictive maintenance. It was how do we prove, improve that guest experience, right? That was the measure of success. Exactly. And, yep. and in order to get there, uh, we were like, okay, so guest experience uh, comes by having guests delighted because they are able to get on as many rides as they can during a day in the park. I mean, we know these, these guests spend um, sometimes a year worth of uh, savings to get to the park and they, their experience is not as great because they are waiting in long lines because at some points the ride failed. This is not acceptable for a company. So our customer was really, okay, we need to improve that and we need to make our ride work 100% of the time when the park is open. That's right. And it, we've all been there when we have seen those lineups, right? It, it, you literally are lining up for sometimes hours for a ride that takes minutes, right? right? For, that, for that thrill. And right. I don't think there is any, well, there are a few other things that can make a customer so angry and waiting in line and something breaking down. You are going to see the worst of humanity <laughs> at that point, right? Um, if you wait in line for, for you know, a couple hours and then all of a sudden that, and, and you know, what we often don't look at is they're shutting it down for a reason. I'd rather not fall out of that thing while they're doing it, but you can't help but be angry because as you said, you invest right. a lot of savings and time to, for a three second thrill ride. Um, so that, that was great. I, I really do appreciate that of, of how do we improve the guest experience? So, and, and you mentioned it there. So it seems like in our industry, we would call that availability, right? Um, right. Or, or utilization to make sure that when you hit that go button, it's going to work, right? And, and so that, I guess that's what led you down to start looking at um, use cases for your technology and your services, which is true, it's an end-to-end -end full stack service from, from data collection all the way to the analytics part of starting to, to look at how do we improve the availability or utilization right. of that piece of equipment. Right, so if you, if you further drill down into this a little bit, so uh, the, the overall objective is to improve the guest experience. Uh, and like reduce the uh, you, you know the waiting time of, of the guests and and th then you got to look into that these these rides have a, you know a very strong fail safe mechanisms built in right mm. so if if there is if if there is something even a hint of something potentially going wrong 
then the ride automatically stops. There could be a power disconnect. There could be a section of the ride uh, th that goes out, or there could be like uh, the, the whole ride just completely stops. And then, uh, you know, a flag goes up, somebody has to come in and, and do, 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 do some repairs. Our goal here in, we call this predictive maintenance, but really the goal is to uh, sort of reduce these unplanned downtimes where the guests have to be evacuated uh, from the ride or, you know, which leads to a, a lot of long waiting times. Uh, and convert that to planned downtime. So every night when the, uh, you, you know, there is some kind of repair or maintenance work going on of different uh, levels um, during the night when the ride is down, right? So if the, the, the goal is to not completely just eliminate any downtimes, but like uh, more realistically convert these unplanned downtimes to planned downtime. So you don't have as much, um, uh, you, you know, um, un unplanned downtimes during the day. Uh, exactly. Where, yeah. Essentially, you want to control when you're doing maintenance. Exactly. You want to you want to be in 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 front of that schedule. And unfortunately for the maintenance people, they're working nighttime under lights, um, <laughs> right? Because there's no one lining up at two a.m. for an amusement park ride. Um, so you do have the opportunity for that delayed um, intervention um in 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 the wee hours of the night to to solve those issues and it's interesting i never considered that because i'd relate the, those hard stop conditions is you're right because the 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 effect of something going wrong is catastrophic right um of course there's right. there's there's human lives but there's also the headlines that come with it and everything else that would would be and we've seen it we've all seen pictures of people hanging upside down because the roller coaster stopped right and you're just like, oh, oh, I'm so glad that's not me. Um, and, and that's just a reality. But in, in you know, I'll say in our industry, and maybe there are listeners that work in amusement parks, like saying, finally, someone's covering an amusement park. But, you know, most of us are in facilities and plants manufacturing. And those systems are typically, typically in process environments are called safety instrumented systems, right? Those are our, our last check in there to make sure that even if the operator opens that valve fold and starts flooding it, it's going to shut it down saying, no, this is a, this is a safety instrumented system. So. Uh, it's a good analogy to to what's happening if, with roller coasters. If something, even something a little a little weird, is there, it, they have to side on the caution side in order to, to not to not run that ride. So yeah. you, you started. So you know you, you looked at. So you started at how to improve guest experience. You started diving into it to how do we improve the guest experience? Well, it's these. Unnecessarily unnecessary, but there are these 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 stops within the key operating time of these rides that we tr we we want to eliminate so that we can do maintenance on them and resolve those issues on a off ship when when the uh, the end users aren't using it. So how would you get from that to all the way to AI? What was your next step once you realized, okay, we need to start looking at these these trips that are happening, these things that are causing these, you know, short or maybe even the long delays of getting the ride back up? What was your next step after that? Yep. So uh, and so so yeah. So the the next step here is to first understand the customer challenges here, right? So right now, uh, uh, and this typically happens with any you know large industrial operator. It's it's very very common practice where uh, you know, there are data collection systems that just give you a lot of time series data. Now, it could be data coming from millions of sensors. 
these this could be data coming from the the actual downtime logs using some you know softwares like Maximo or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, or it could be data coming from these events where some flag goes off and uh, depending on whether it is, uh, you know, the severity of the, of the flag, uh, either the ride automatically stops and you have to do something about it or, um, you know, it, it's just a warning for, for you. And the users, they get, uh, you know, it, it, there is just so much data that it is not possible for the engineers to really look at uh, all of this data in a very intelligent way uh, and and make decisions on it um, you know like, like in in real time so uh, the way uh, you know what what ends up happening is uh, you know these uh, this data is used more in a diagnostic sense like hey whenever something goes wrong then this data streams are are used into looking for a root cause analysis type of work right forensic forensics analysis Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I saw, okay, the ride stopped, then I looked into my event data, and hey, this event happened, that leads me to this particular path of, uh, you know, root cause analysis, where I look at what what really went on, right? Uh, it, it could it could range from any number of issues, it could be um, an overweight guest, it could be a, a random animal uh, blocking a sensor, it could be uh, you know, sensors going out of sequence, it could be a dirty sensor, it could be anything, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah, going from this diagnostic, the goal is to develop um, AI and machine learning models so we can do predictive analytics, where we look at these um, sources of data and try to build models that can predict, uh, you know, with a week's worth of lead time that, hey, this thing is going to happen. Of course, depending on the failure mode of of the ride that we're dealing with, it's pr- probably not possible for every failure mode to predict in a leads in in a week's worth of lead time uh, that hey something is going to happen. But in in most of the failure modes that really matter, it, it is generally possible to uh, predict a few days uh, at, at least before um, uh, so something's going to happen. Right, and and I want to stop there because there's two things I want to note. First thing is is you know, there is a, um, a a lot of um, people coming into our space, and I say our space is maintenance reliability that really don't understand the, the fundamentals um, because they have a data analytic background. And there is a key word you said there, and I'm so glad you did, because it would have made it for an awkward rest of this conversation was failure modes, right? Yeah. Understanding that, you know, each failure mode is different in which you mentioned, right? And that you you said a comment there that obviously you cannot predict every failure mode with two weeks in advance. Yeah. So even though you know you guys are, are are experts of what you do from the data science point of view, you know you realize that failure modes are different. It's not like if you imply AI, you're never going to have a failure mode again. All failure modes are different, and you have to tackle them differently. And you get to the point where you made something that kind of hovered on there was an overweight guest, right? That is. You know, you might be able to sensor and obviously sensor weight and, and things like that in these 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 cars or vehicles that are rolling. But there's certain things and an animal sitting in front of a sensor, right? right. You, you can't predict if a bird or something's kind of like it's just something we don't typically see right. in industry. We, most of us there's probably be some listeners that are out in remote mines that have bears and wolves walking across their plants or something like that. But most of us don't have to deal with our equipment yeah. shutting down because a bird flew by or something like that. So uh, kudos for you for, for, for bringing that up. Sure. Um, and it looks like you guys were doing 
um, you know, you, you mentioned Maximo looking at what was causing the bad actors. Why were these these unplanned downtimes happening? What was the, the what was driving the majority of these unplanned downtimes? And assuming that's where you started to to to, to focus your attention on what in our history is is the 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 leading cause of of most unplanned downtime. Right. So, so yeah, typically in a predictive maintenance um, <clears throat> project, that's, that's, you know, once we start looking at uh, these downtime data, then, uh, you know, we identify the actors responsible for the most amount of downtimes and, and, you know, try to build models that can uh, predict those first. Uh, so, and, 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 you know, we, we go from there uh, and, you know, the, and, you know, we can give, more detailed examples, but Arnold and I, we have seen, and I've seen this in, in my previous, uh, you know, job as well, uh, both at GE and, 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 and Uptake, where it's difficult to build these AI models, show it to an engineer who, who knows everything about this ride, in and out, everything about how this ride fails. And here, here we come with, we're building some AI and ML models and we say that uh, you know, hey, we are able to predict this downtime uh, with uh, with with so much lead time. But what's difficult is to build trust that this really is doing what it's supposed to do, right? And and I've seen like bad examples where, hey, you know, we are predicting a downtime in this particular lift using uh, some other sensor on the other side of of, of the ride with the, with a the drop. And just because mm. we were able to predict it, that doesn't mean they would trust this prediction because you are using an input which is completely not matched to this downtime, right? So it is an iterative process where we make sure that these inputs and outputs, they make sense. Um, and we are able to, exp you know, a, a lot of these AI ML models are black boxes. Right. Yes. So, you know, it sometimes can get difficult to explain exactly why if an alert goes up, then why did it go up? Right. So um, we <clears throat> it, it's, it's an iterative process where we build that trust with, with, with the customer. And it starts by understanding the failure modes. Right. So so one of the one of the primary challenges in the, and this is in any predictive maintenance customer that we, uh, you know, we understand the, okay, okay, these, these are the downtimes that we are um, um, willing to predict. Uh, and then we are dive deeper into, you know, what, why is these downtimes uh, happening? What are the inputs uh, related to, to these downtimes? And of course, it, a lot of these times happens that, you know, you are not collecting all the relevant data. Maybe you are not collecting some vibration data that you should be collecting, or maybe some pump uh, you know, you are measuring the speed, but not the voltage or stuff like that, right? So right. Uh, we, you know, a, a lot of times we are not collecting the, the, the right data and, um, but, uh, you know, developing these models uh, can still provide a lot of value if done the right way, um, you know, and uh, make, making sure we have all the relevant data sets, uh, you know, uh, the, the relevant data inputs in the model, and uh, we understand the failure mode and try to, uh, because the understanding of the failure mode actually helps us creating the features in, in our data science model. Um, and that domain knowledge helps us a lot in making sure that the models make sense. I think you bring a great point, Ankur. When it comes to um, keeping the human in the loop, we definitely not want to uh, forget that at the end of the day, 
our artificial intelligence is targeting human to take a decision on their own. Um, yeah. When it comes to predictive maintenance, the decision is not taken by the algorithm. The hint, if you will, or the flag is raised so that a human can take a decision. Right. We, we are not, it's not like um, the brain of the industrial system, if you will, where, where it comes to the PLC itself, the, we're not taking the decision. Right. We need to build that trust that the recommendation that we are pushing is actually valid. Yeah. And it takes some effort when it comes to uh, proving or showing that this is valid. And we've been actually developing that with this customer where um, we have first to have a recurring meeting with the teams, not only the engineers that, that conceive the rides, but also the one who maintain. Because you are bringing technology into their world where they have been doing their work for the past 20, 30 years mm -hmm. without any type of technology. Some of them know the ride so well that if they go with a stick, and that's actually their only tool, they would go with a stick. And if the stick goes tick, 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 they know it's good. If it goes tick, tack, tick, then they know, they know there is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> and you're <laughs> telling them, and you're telling them that an algorithm will do better than that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. And that is so funny you bring that up because we've all seen that. We've all seen that where, yep. you know, the person that's been in that plant for 20, 30 years. And it, it, it's an interesting analogy because, you know, who's best to tell you when something is wrong with your car? It's the driver, not the maintenance shop you take it to. Right. Um, and we've seen that where, where people can get so skilled that, you know, they can set, use their, their human senses. So touch, feel, smell. Um, ironically taste at some point, I guess, um, to start to say, Hey, something's not wrong. Now that stick is probably, <laughs> um, a, a good example of that. I don't know how repeatable it is. Um, but, um, that, that's a great example. And that human aspect of it, like we said, that is, is you're enabling the human to make better informed decision. At the end of the day, the AI is not shutting down. It's yeah. not that safety instrumented system that we talked about. It's allowing those subject matter experts, that person, as you said, that knows that ride inside and out, knows every tick clang that's possible to make a better informed decision. Right. Right. And it's all about data streaming, right? Um, whether it's uh, the sound from the stick from that guy or it's from the sensors, it's all about data streaming. So, so the, the, the main issue we have when it goes, when it goes to creative maintenance and, and all types of AI actually is how many streams can we get and how fast can we get them so that we make an informed decision. And that's exactly it. And that's what we're going to get to around the latency of all this data that's being generated. But I can't, I, I have this visual stuck in my head of mm -hmm. myself going on a, a ride and out comes this guy with a mm -hmm. stick <laughs> <laughs> and he's listening. He's like, okay, your guys are good. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a funny picture I have in my head. So, you know, you start to address these common causes that's causing these unplanned downtime. Are it, so what? What I gather from a little bit of research I did is is these roller coasters are already obviously for for you know they have to know where every car is on the ride and and things like that. They already have a a large amount of data being generated on these rides, right? And I'm just lots. Any idea how much? Is there, is there a way to quantify how much data is being generated? Um, so, yeah, um, the, so 
every sensor um, that's on the ride, and uh, the oldest ride I have about 700 sensors. The newest one, uh, we are above 10,000 sensors. So that means that we are taking in our system about 25 million data points every second. That's okay, so, how fast the data is. So, so let's, let's think about this for a minute. 25 million data points per second. Per second, yeah. Yep. One, two. <laughs> so that's, that's 50 million data points you just got in. Right, that is a staggering amount of data. Now, this data that's coming in for to do this AI for predictive maintenance, did you have to add new sensors to these, or was was it already instrumented enough where you could solve majority of these failure modes or be able to predict these failure modes without adding new sensors? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, 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 we continuously add uh, new new not not continuously, but the, uh, uh, there are from time to time there are efforts where we uh, renovate an old park. Like these, some of these uh, old parks have like tag boards that need to be renovated, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, where where we replace that with more uh, because they were built like twenty years ago. Right, so so now uh, we we replace that with more uh, you know high tech sensors, or there could be. Parts, parts of these, um, uh, let's say maybe uh, the newer parks have vehicles which have uh, fully or you know uh, censored up uh, uh, vehicles, but the older parks may not right. have the, uh, you know, that smart vehicle. So maybe install some sensors on those vehicles so that we can try to predict any vehicle-related downlines, right? So, uh, so yeah, so th th that kind of work it uh, it's so again it, very uh, typical to what we see in industry. We have old equipment that's 20, 30 years old that, you know, wasn't very smart to begin with. And we have to add sensors to make them smart. But now you can get a variable speed drive that has 200 parameters coming out of it that you don't know what to do with. So it looks like you have that same, because you look at amusement park rides right now, they are not getting any easier, right? They, they, we have to constantly up the game on scaring the crap out of us, right? Yeah. So, so things are not just moving in one direction. You're not sitting in a bucket anymore. That bucket's moving; it's spinning in different directions. The drops are steeper. The hills are <laughs> the the climbs are higher, right? right? So I could see the need for sensor sensors only going up. Yeah. And and so how do you? I, I'm looking at a data pipeline that's streaming 25 million data points a second. And as you already alluded to, you have to get the guy with a stick those decisions quickly. Right. I'm assuming, you know, the, the failures you're not trying to predict are not the ones that are going to happen in, in a second. Right. That's where those fail safes have to be in place. Still, you're not replacing those. But for stream, the 20 million data points, is there an edge processing part of this or is that data going strictly from these sensors into some kind of system that up to the cloud and it's doing the analytics up there? So how do you split that data from doing stuff at the edge to dealing with latency issues in the cloud? So the short answer is uh, we don't do cloud. Um, we, we cannot afford to have 200, 300 millisecond uh, latency when it comes to, uh, to bringing compute in the cloud. Uh, specifically in this kind of uh, deployment, we have um, actually two levels of edge. We've got the micro edge, if you will, that's really close to the control system of the ride mm -hmm. where we, we acquire the data and we start, uh, if you will, uh, shaping it so that it's um, optimized for the rest of 
the data pipeline. And we've got edge where we actually do the inference of the analytics and the AI. And then we have a core where we store all the data for years where we can actually train the AI mm. and then push them all back to the edge. Interesting, interesting, because there's a there's a big misconception. And I love this. And we can spend the next five hours talking about this. But there's this idea that in order to do AI, in order to store the data, you have to have the cloud. It's just it's it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? AI cloud, AI cloud. But that is not the case. And by building this this three levels of of edge processing, um, you know, where you where you and we'll get in my next question is going to be about cleansing that data at 25 million data points, but you have different levels of, of, of edge, each serving a purpose. So you're not just, you're not just taking that data, making some inferences, making some predictions and, and, and deleting it, but you also have a storage where, of course, you want to learn and improve on that AI over time as well, right? So you're not just- Right. And so when we say AI uh, comes with cloud, it, it's kind of true. Um, here, it's just a private cloud because uh, because of the amount of data that we have, bringing all that to a public infrastructure and public cloud, one of the hyperscalers, for example, that would cost a lot of money. So that, that's why we, are, we have chosen to go with a private cloud, but we have a cloud architecture. Everything is container-based. We use uh, cloud services on-prem, including at the edge. So that, that's why we have uh, this flexible architecture to be right. able to scale that to that many sensors a second. Right, and you're absolutely right. If you look at you know, the pricing from a, a, a cloud perspective of 25 million data points per second, right? Yeah. Um, you know, companies wouldn't stay in business streaming that amount and trying to <laughs> process process that much data. So you're trying to, at each level of the edge is, is moving more from data into insights, right? Um, to, to lessen that um, burden on, on all these, uh, whether it's a, a public, private, virtual cloud or on-premises. So, yep. so you're, st you're streaming these, you know, I, I keep on picture and I'm going up this, you know, click, 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 this roller coaster is pulling me up. It's streaming 25 million data points per second. Yep. I think it's getting well understood now that a lot of the challenges with data science is not actually the AI part. If I'm saying this right, it's really that, that data preparation, that data cleaning part. I can't imagine yeah. what it's like to, to be able to, you know, what I've learned to know is ETL, extract, transform, and load in, in, from a 25 million data points a second. So can you speak to some of the challenges and how you're able to come just to make sure the data is good coming into your system to make those right predictions? Sure. So <clears throat> what, uh, so, so, so let, let's, let's see what kind of data is, is actually coming in. So there are a couple of different sources of, of data that are coming in, right? Like one are these analog type of sensors, which are, you know, measuring some kind of a pressure uh, in, 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 a, in a pump, or it could be a speed or a, or a voltage. So every millisecond uh, from, uh, you know, uh, these are analogs and these are like, uh, these 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 are not all the uh, you know millions of analog sensors. These are like uh, hun, uh, uh, like tens of thousands of analog sensors that are coming you know streaming at one millisecond uh, values. The rest of these sensors are digital, so they they go zero or one, right? If right. if so imagine a gate, 
right? So let's say a gate that is letting people go in, right? So if if the gate if the gate is open, let's say it's it goes one. If the gate is closed, it goes zero. Now you you think that this is normal operation, but let's say something in that gate sensor breaks, right? And uh, I'm used to seeing, hey, it goes from zero to one, it stays at one for you know a couple of milliseconds and goes back to zero. And that's a standard sort of heartbeat of that sensor, right? Now, if that heartbeat changes from uh, you know, a specific pattern or a hard, you know, a, a, across like a few seconds, if that changes to, uh, you know, you are transitioning from zero to one in one second, you used to do it like 10 times, now you are doing 1000 times, then that's a problem, right? Uh, then it doesn't mean the gate is opening that <laughs> frequently, it's something, uh, you know, a, a wire got loose in the sensor or, or some problem like that, right? So, so we have a lot of these digital sensors streaming data from all across the park. And we have to pre-process this data before we can feed it into our models. And it, uh, it is just transitions in a, when a window, right? And, and we have capability to play around uh, with how big the window should be, what kind of different features we are building in one particular window. Uh, uh, like there are input and output sensors. So for example, if you press a button, that's a button input and you expect a certain output to, to show up, right? And usually after you press the button, the output has a lag of like two milliseconds. But if that lag goes from two milliseconds to 10 milliseconds, then that's a problem, right? So it, it, it's, it's these kinds of um, failure modes and, uh, you know, the, uh, using the digital data and learning about the failure mode, we have come up with like features that we use to pre-process this digital data. And these digital analog and the event data, um, uh, these feed into our models. So uh, different challenges include, um, you know, there could be, uh, you know, there could be some failure modes which require uh, pre-processing at a very, very fine level. So you need, really need to look at the data at maybe maximum five seconds of, of a window. There could be other failure modes where uh, it's fine if you look at an hour level, right? right if the transitions don't change across an hour, you are fine with that, right? So that, that's one challenge, how to do it from a model to model basis. Another challenge is how do you know exactly, um, you know, when, when, a specific part of a park is operating or not, right? So you could use like overall hours from, uh, you know, hey, the park opens at 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. That's when it is operational. Uh, but there could be uh, periods where, um, you know, a specific part of the section is down or intentionally disabled. Um, but, uh, you know, we still have sensor data streaming uh, from, from these parks. We, we just don't know about whether it was disabled or not. Right, so it's that kind of, um, again, uh, uh, sort of data cleaning and domain knowledge that, that we need to build in here to make sure that uh, the false positives of these models are limited, right? Right. So that those are some of the challenges. Exactly, and I think you summarized that really well because you're, you're right, there's, and if you relate it to, you know, where, where we typically, our, our listeners are from is, you know, a, a, a temperature in a tank is not going to change over, you know, in a, in a, in a minute period. If it is, 
then there's something wrong with the sensor, right? Um, whereas flow and things like that are more dynamic. You, you need to, to sample and, and capture that data more frequently. So, you know, I, I'm imagining you gave me that, uh, you know, a limit switch, right? Or, or a proximity switch that's, it's, it's either, it's a one or a zero, right? Yep. And you mentioned you know, normally it's doing it every second, but now it's it's chattering in and out. So it's a, I'm picturing a loose wire and it's, it's flapping against the ground and it's, it's shorting it out. So you're getting the signal like, a thousand vehicles a minute are passing it and you can't. So how do you deal with that at the edge? So, cause if that was to come in and if that was a, an important feature input into your model, it would essentially make a very inaccurate prediction. So are you doing some level of anomaly detection right at the edge to say, you know, it, it, there, there's something happening this by physics or something like this can't physically be happening or else, you know, the whole world's coming to an end. And how do you get that from affecting that uh, output of that model, because obviously, again, we talked about this, this leads back to trust. If you were to say, hey, this is this right. is happening, we're predicting this, but it didn't, then the guy at the stick is probably not gonna trust you anymore. Right, so so uh, yeah, we, we, we do, um, we bake that kind of intelligence in our models, right? So there are different types of models. One is a simple, hey, if you, if I predict, if I sense that, uh, you know, a, a wire is loose and this sensor is really, really being chatty, uh, then, uh, or chattering, then, then, then you alert, right? But of course it has false positives. Uh, because of many reasons like um, uh, so for example a very common type of uh, faults in these parks are disagreement faults right so uh, let's say um, you know you have um, uh, water level in a particular tank and as vehicles are going by it uh, you know once the vehicle passes through the water level goes down and there is a high water level sensor, which automatically, you know, uh, you know, it's it's in sync with the vehicle uh, sensors that it goes up and down as the vehicle is is passing by. Now, uh, for some reason, let's say the sensor gets dirty, right? Mm -hmm. So the sensor gets dirty, then uh, you it is you are actually telling. So and there are like control controls and monitors that really tell the vehicle when to go and when to stop. Right now, if the sensor gets dirty, it can give a sense that uh, you know the water level is is high, and in you know and and so something is off. So maybe the control is telling, uh, hey, vehicle, you should go. The monitor is telling vehicle you should stop. And because of that dirty sensor, you now have a disagreement. So now uh, you could you could uh, you know give uh, alert because uh, you know the the chatter behavior in that sensor got uh, disrupted a little bit. But that's not the true fault. Right, so uh, so we build that intelligence in our models where we look at uh, different types of models. Like I said, one is this uh, chatter model. Others are more sophisticated, group-based anomaly detection models where we build uh, you know uh, sort of one anomaly detection model per failure mode, uh, where we look at the right inputs and uh, you know if they you know study their behavior in normal operations without any failures this this is how they should behave and alert whenever something goes off and then more sophisticated specific failure classification models but of course these are you know there are a whole bunch of time series failure classification methods that that you could use here um, but of course they are limited by the number of failures because you know as these parts they don't fail that often and a per, like a processor disagreement fault that i mentioned you may get like 5 to 10 failures in a year if you are lucky 
right? So <laughs> from a data science point of view. Uh, so if you, we, we try to build like very specific failure modes that, hey, we think that in this lift, uh, something is off and you might see a processor disagreement fault in the next day or so. Versus an anomaly detection will, will say, hey, um, hey, something is off. It could be a failure detection. It could be something else, right? Versus uh, a chattering model where we say, hey, uh, this button is problematic uh, because now it is chattering more often. So that's how we uh, distinguish between like different failure modes and um, uh, sort of build trust in the in in the model predictions. Right. So so you have this data coming in at at, at you know at, at a very high high velocity, right? You're you're dealing with some latency issues with without going to the cloud and obviously the cloud infrastructure cost. Uh, I guess uh, uh, you're doing it in a virtual or a, uh, a private cloud. Um, how is how is those decisions getting to the decision maker? Um, so the output of this this AI is is, is making predictions yeah. on on you know to make so this person can make or people can make decisions. What does that workflow look like once the AI, AI is making some some inferences from that data? Yep. So uh, we so so. And, and, and I'll not chip, chip in here, maybe it's on your experience with other aspects of this project as well. But uh, we, we basically, you know, the data gets streaming in, we read, we read this data, build, train our models, and the model predictions get written in a database, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where, and then uh, a dashboard gets built where it reads in the relevant uh, chatter data uh, that uh, that that we get from all across uh, these um, the, this this park, and we sort of uh, you know show the relevant plots and the alerts um, you know whenever the model alerts. Um, so the, it, it's through a dashboard that uh, for now it's it's through a dashboard that the engineers look look at that data. Understood. Yeah, putting it another way, um, so all of our models, and I was mentioning that earlier, as we need to build trust. Uh, we need to bring all that view into a dashboard where when the model raises a flag, basically, we need to show the engineer and basically the guy with a stick why we took that decision of raising a flag. So that's why you know, in our dashboard, we show where we have an alert and the reason why, meaning the exact window where we can show the data coming from the exact sensor that we determine was faulty. Mm. And that way, that allows us to build trust from this, on the system to, to the guy with a stick who would not be able to see that. Or maybe he didn't see that that sensor was dirty when he passed by in his inspection daily. So that's how we, with a, um, a well-built dashboard to show the exact data points that are required to take uh, to, to, to Convince maintenance. So you're, yeah, you're showing why you're answering that question. Why it and it being AI is making that decision. Yeah, right. Right, and how important is that? Because we you mentioned earlier, it's it, it it to be sustainable, it can't be a black box, right? You have to start to the person and this poor guy with the stick. <laughs> Next time I go to an amusement park, I'm just going to walk around and look for people carrying sticks. But <laughs> this this poor guy with the stick, we're using him as a, and I'm sure it doesn't exist like we're picturing it. But 
um, he's going to build that trust or she has to build that trust. Right. And, you know, to understand, and it is, it's no different than any of us in any position. We're always curious. Well, you know, we learn at an early age to ask why, well, why are we shutting this down? Why are we doing this? Why should I do this? So we can learn from it. Right. And I think building that, why you're making that recommendation, that inference is, is spot on. So right. I have to ask you as we're getting to the end here, um, after implementing, um, artificial intelligence for predictive maintenance in this amusement park, what type of results did they initially get? And are they able to sustain those achievements or, or benefits from this project? So um, a couple of things. First, uh, yes, th this is bringing uh, good outcomes to the customer. Uh, and we are actually expanding to more and more rides uh, as we speak, uh, because this entire ecosystem, if you will, and, and, and project has been proven improving the um, availability of rides by more than 10% during open hours. Meaning that we are catching about 90% of unpredicting downtimes. Wow. And, and I guess because, and, and on behalf of all amusement park goers, well, thank you, because I do not want to live in line, um, and, and nor do I necessarily want to completely trust the guy at the stick either. Um, and you know, the, the, I guess the fact that they're scaling, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and a lot in these forums we're on, is you know one of the challenges not having that first initial success. We're having a lot of success with AI and IoT out there in what we call the pilot phase, but it, you know the studies keep on coming back from from you know the the, the big consultants that are up there about this concept of pilot purgatory, where, you know, you're able to prove some results, but you can't scale it, right? It's just, it's, the, the momentum is not there to scale it. And the fact that, you know, you're, you're getting wider reach into, um, into these parks is a testament to that there is sustainable benefit um, from these that, that um, are going to affect, and I'll link it back to that main objective that you guys were um, called there to do, which was how do we improve the guest experience? Right. right. And that's, exactly. and that's what you're measuring with that, um, production in unplanned downtime. And I'd be curious at a, a, and you guys, this is probably above you, but you know, I know these, these type of places really value that guest experience and they have ways of measuring it. So I'm curious to know if they actually had a measurable impact on the business from a customer experience point of view. Right. Now, I can imagine the challenge with that is you never get compliments that, hey, I, would, I waited in line. I was able to ride the ride. You only get <laughs> negative compliments when I waited in line. I didn't ride the ride. But uh, no, that, that, that's fantastic. So if, if just as we wrap up here, guys, you know, was there anything that, you know, was was truly a amazing moment for you or a learning experience while you were implementing um, this project or while you're still implementing that was like a, a, a uh, uh, aha or your weaker moment for you in this project i'll share a, sm a small one um one, one of the rides we've implemented um the engineering team came back to us one day and said hey uh we had a downtime and um we your system did not alert us and uh and that made the news and everything and um we're like well actually we did alert but you ignored the alert so uh, back to the trust of the system. If um, the system ha 
had been trusted more at that time, we would not have made the news basically. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I have a small example as well, where uh, this one time um, uh, in, in one of these parks, uh, a, a sensor, um, there is a specific sensor that they changed. And this the sensor was was faulty, so the model has been alerting, um, mm -hmm. uh, and and they changed the sensor, but the model kept on alerting. Gotcha. And then these questions came back that hey, you know something is wrong. The model is keep, keeping on alerting, and then we checked everything was good on our end, and then we said that hey, the model is still alerting. There is no like uh, you know assumptions that got invalidated, or the data stream looks fine. The model should be alerting. And then they went back and checked in and the sensor was not installed correctly. Interesting. So they, 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 they fixed that. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Well, this was an absolute pleasure, guys. Um, I'd love to catch up with you guys again as you're, as you're, you know, keep this journey going from an amusement park. It's just really fascinating to me. Um, not to say that our other industries of, of, of you know, your, your history with GE and turbines and, and pumps and motors are, are not interesting. It's just they lack kind of the excitement of a, of a roller coaster ride. So I appreciate you guys coming on on the show, and I look forward to to following up with you guys to see what you're doing next. And eventually, when you get all the way down to, you know, you solved all the problems and you're monitoring the the beverage stands and things like that, you're probably tapped out. But uh, yeah, I, I really do appreciate this, and and thank you to the guy with the stick um, that's making all of our rides uh, safe, and and hopefully that person is is benefiting from from the excellent work you guys did leveraging AI to help predict and, and remove some of these unplanned downtime. He does more what we think. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course he does. Because we're, and some of us were all that guy with that stick. We've all done that type of, of, of touch, feel, use our gut instinct. And I, I think AI is, is uh, you know, always going to benefit from those people that have the knowledge of using the stick, using their senses, using their data to, to make better decisions. Right. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Blair. It was a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Blair. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the end of this podcast. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, ideas, please reach out to us. Um, and if you have any interest of being on the show, you have a new technology or use case you would like to share, we would love to have you on to share your story. So please reach out. Until next week, be safe. <laughs>